Welcome back to another edition of the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. Gilman Gregor here with Kyle Irving. Kyle, how are you feeling, man? Feeling good. Feeling antsy. The season's uh, it's finally here. It's upon us. Even though it was a quick offseason, a whirlwind of an offseason, it, it seems like um, after the time between the draft and free agency uh, in the end of preseason seemed like an eternity. Uh, so once we finally, you know, we're under the understanding that the season was going to be here before Christmas, which seemed fast. Uh, it seemed like it took a while to actually get to that point, but we're finally here and I can't wait for some real NBA basketball. Yeah. It's funny you say that. Cause it, I honestly, I couldn't have said it better myself. Like it was like, man, we're going to have one month between the draft and game starting, but the last 10 or so days leading up to, to the week where the game started really did move slow. Like that excitement of wanting to see a preseason game and like see the guys on the court, it wore off rather quickly. And it's like, all right, let's, let's see some games that actually count, but we're here now. We're here now. The Toronto Raptors open up the season on Wednesday, December 23rd, hosting the New Orleans Pelicans on opening night for the second consecutive year. I don't know if that was by design or whatever, but I guess it makes sense. The Pelicans are going to go on down to Miami after playing in Tampa for Christmas Day. But it's a big year for the Raptors, big year for the Raptors. We, we saw them go two and one in the preseason, two wins over the Hornets and a loss to the Miami Heat. Did you learn anything? Could you take anything away from the preseason? I know, again, you didn't see that much guys played up and down limited minutes or whatever, but did you have any big takeaways from it? We learned a couple things. Um, Malachi Flynn was really impressive. He's a baller. Uh, he, he is a baller. He He's cold-blooded, man. I mean, he's just reliable is the word that I want to use here because he just seems like he's going to be somebody that Nick Nurse can go to, um, you know, whether they need someone to come up with a stop on defense or they need someone to uh, step in and, and fill in for Fred Van Vliet or Kyle Lowry if there's a back-to-back, or uh, maybe they just need a, a clutch bucket. It just seems like there's no moment that's going to be too big for Malachi Flynn. He came into the preseason, his first game as a pro uh, against the Charlotte Hornets and, and highlighted by LaMelo Ball, uh, and he came out and played a completely sound game where he was you know, orchestrating the offense, knocking down tough shots, playing hard-nosed defense, all the, thing that, all the things that uh, was said about him when the Raptors had selected him. So I was impressed with Flynn's play. I think that he's going to be a reliable piece to the Raptors rotation this year. And I would say that he's probably what I was most excited about during the preseason. But um, I mean, it was also encouraging to see Kyle Lowry come back uh, after he didn't go travel to Charlotte with the team for the first two preseason games. It was encouraging to see Lowry come back and just kind of pick up right where he left off. I mean, he's getting older and that's what all anybody seems to want to talk about this off season, but I mean, the guy came back right away, scored 25 points, knocked down six threes, and looks like he hasn't skipped a beat. So that was also an encouraging sign to see after he missed the first two preseason games for, um, for lack of a better term, just kind of an unknown reason. Yeah, yeah. You know, you mentioned Kyle Lowry and, and how he looked. And it's funny, like, typically we would be like 15, 20, 25 games of the season at this point. And he looked like he was 15, 20, 25 games of the season. He looked like he was in midseason form, just the intensity he played with. He was uh, arguing calls. You know, he wanted to get some challenges here and there, taking charges, all of those things that we know Kyle Lowry for doing. Even though he missed the first two tune-ups, he came out and, again, you said he hit six threes, six for 10 from, from three, and he had 25 points in 27 minutes. 
uh, that's definitely encouraging. And then the other thing that I think was encouraging from from the preseason, again, albeit it was a very small sample size, but there are guys who are going to be asked to have bigger roles this year. Uh, Chris Boucher showed some flashes of being capable of doing things in a bigger role, but Matt Thomas was really the guy who, you know, he had he had some really good moments in, in the in the early preseason against Charlotte, hit some shots, but also was able to facilitate a little bit. And you talk about shooters and getting running off the, off the three point line, and typically we don't expect shooters to be able to do anything but shoot or put the ball on the floor once and then shoot. But he's a guy who might be able to put the ball on the floor once or twice and find somebody else. And if he can do that, uh, he can really kind of solidify himself in that spot is i guess the the eighth or ninth man on the roster uh because we know who the who the top five are we know the starting five are and we know who the top five are so as we kind of shift into the regular season let's let's focus on that top five and i think it all starts with the man whose contract extension kicks in this year Pascal Siakam was an all-star starter last year. We know this. We know he was all-NBA last year, but we know he didn't look like himself in the bubble. We've seen a little bit of ups and downs during the preseason, but as we go into this upcoming season, what version of Pascal Siakam do you think we're going to see, and what are you expecting from him this season? Well, you just said it best. His contract extension kicks in this year, so if he didn't already have a ton of pressure on him to – look more like the player that he looked like in the regular season last year uh, compared to the playoffs last season. Uh, that pressure is just uh, taken to another notch this year, because if the Raptors are going to be successful, Pascal Siakam has to play at the level that he played at last season. And that's a lot of pressure. That's a lot of pressure for a guy that's in his second year as a go-to guy. And mm-hmm. we already started to see teams kind of figure out the blueprint, you know, when they're fo- focusing the game plan on how to stop Pascal Siakam. Uh, Siakam didn't always have, you know, the counter moves or, or um, you know, different ways to get to his spots to um, to adapt to a team game planning for him. And now this year, after a full season of, you know, him being an all-star starter, a season where he was all NBA, teams are going to be focusing on him just as much, if not more. And they're going to realize what uh, did and didn't work for him in the playoffs last year. And I think that just puts even more pressure on Pascal to, uh, you know, come out and prove that he worked hard in the offseason to come up with these counters to get to his spots when, you know, teams know where he wants to be on the floor. And it's also, which Nick Nurse has talked about himself, it also puts pressure on the head coach to put Siakam in different roles in different positions on the floor uh, to allow him to be successful instead of, you know, just putting him in the same sets every time or just hoping that he can create offense and transition or uh, on the offensive glass. But, you know, so far in the preseason, Pascal Siakam shot well from three, which is encouraging mm-hmm. because he shot under 20% from three in the playoffs last season. Uh, so that was one sign that I like to see. Not that I ever had any question. Uh, it almost was like that he had the yips in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. And every time he shot the ball, it just wasn't going to drop, whether it was a layup or a three-pointer. It was uh, encouraging to see him, you know, shooting the ball confidently from the perimeter. But it, like you said, it all starts and finishes with Pascal Siakam. And if the Raptors are going to be one of the top teams in the Eastern Conference again this season, he has to play at an all-star level yet again. You, you mentioned his shooting. Uh, he went – Nine for 17 in three preseason games. So he hit three threes a game at a, at a 53% clip, which is very, very, very encouraging. I don't necessarily think you should expect him to hit three threes a game throughout the course of the regular season, but we've seen him have those games where he hits multiple threes. He seemed like two years ago, he was just like a corner three-point shooting guy, and he had those above-the-break threes and you know, c- kind of hitting them off the dribble based on how teams guard him defensively. And if he continues to add that as a, and, and add those wrinkles to his game, I think that'll open other things up because teams will close out differently and he can drive and, and, and get to 
the the bucket and the ways that he can do so. I, I am definitely encouraged by based on what we saw from him, and also think that the biggest part of it, and, and we've kind of heard Masai Ujiri talk about it, we've heard Pascal talk about it, we've heard Nick Nurse talk about it, just his overall enjoyment of the game. And getting back to enjoying the game and having fun out there, I think that is a big part of it. We heard Kyle Lowry talk about it after they lost in the postseason that he had been there before. You know, when the Raptors came up short in the postseason, you know, several years ago, Kyle Lowry was the guy who received a lot of the blame alongside DeMar DeRozan, but Lowry used that to fuel him. And I think that the type of leader he is, he's able to kind of bring those guys along and also teach from experience and bring him along, which again, after things with Pascal, this is Kyle Lowry's final year of his contract. Uh, he signed that extension last year. I believe it was for one year, uh, 30 plus million. He will be 35, as you mentioned earlier, uh, in the second half of the season begins in March. He's like an ageless wonder, though. What are we expecting from Kyle Lowry this upcoming season? Obviously, it starts with Pascal, but Kyle Lowry is that guy who he's the heart and soul. So so what is it that you expect from him this season? Again, like, it just seems like he's been the catalyst of on both ends of the floor for the Raptors for so long now. I mean, it's the heart and soul of the team, like you said. Uh, it's just so important that, one, he stays healthy. That's something that's going to be major for the Raptors this season is Kyle Lowry's health. I mean, the team's health in general, but Kyle yeah. Lowry in particular, because when he's on the floor, they're going to have a chance to win games no matter who else is around him. Um, I also think that it's important that he continues to look for his own shot as much as he's trying to get other guys involved. You know, I think a lot of people are expecting this to be a breakout season for OG and an OB offensively. Uh, Fred Van Vliet's coming off that big contract, and he had an awesome season on the offensive end last year. And like we were just talking about, Pascal – uh, you know, there's a lot of pressure on him to be the go-to guy on offense again. It's still very important that Kyle Lowry is one of the top scorers on this team. Uh, you know, he's never going to shy away from looking for his own shot, but I just think that, you know, with Marcus All and Serge Ibaka moving on, it's even more important for Lowry to be a consistent presence on offense. But more so than anything, as long as he's healthy, he's playing hard on both ends of the floor, which he's always going to do anytime he's on the floor and he continues to look for his own shot to keep that offense going and make life easier for the guys that are around him. I think that's a major key for the Raptors this upcoming season. And I think that, you know, the, the small taste that we saw from Kyle Lowry in the preseason was encouraging. Raptors fans should be encouraged by that because the guy just played a ton of minutes in the playoffs. There were not many players that played more minutes than Fred yeah. and Kyle Lowry did in the postseason last year. And that, that wasn't all that long ago. So to watch him turn around, turn things around that quickly and in his first preseason action, look the way that he did, like you said, he looks like he's uh, in, in the swing of things in the middle of the season, not just his first preseason game. And I expect him to carry that into opening night. Yeah, I think, you know, all those things we talked about, a big part of why Kyle Lowry is that ageless wonder ties right into the way he played in that preseason game. The things that he does allow his game to age very gracefully, right? Like his transition shooting, his his three-point shooting, his leadership, his defensive prowess is, is very strength-based. He's a very strong guy who's able to guard one through three. He's a very cerebral player, very smart player, great leader on both ends of the floor. And those are things that, granted, you might get a, a step slower. Uh, you might not be able to jump as high. But he's, his game was never based on athleticism, really, anyway, outside of strength. And that's a whole different uh, discussion in itself. So as far as that goes, it's very encouraging to think about the way that he does things. He got off to such a hot start last season uh, until he got that injury that he dealt with with the hand and, and like you said it kind of was the first domino of a bunch of injuries that happened to him and the rest of the team 
throughout the season, but just encouraging as long as he is able to stay healthy and the things that he does will continue to to work really well within what the team does. And it's interesting to look at Kyle Lowry and where he is and look at how that compares with Fred Van Vliet because Fred Van Vliet, as we know, uh, was paid very well based on his performance over the past couple of years, signing that four-year, $85 million deal this offseason. And it feels like with with Kyle being 34 going 35 this year and, and Fred being 26 going on 27 this year, there could be the perfect setup for the passing of the torch. And, and Fred Van Vliet taking on the reins as being the franchise point guard moving forward. Who knows how much longer Kyle Lowry has left being Kyle Lowry, but we know that it's closer to the end than it is to the beginning. We can say that. So with the contract that Fred Van Vliet signs comes big expectations. There are expectations that he's always met, but now I guess they weren't explicitly stated, but now with that contract beside your name, there's a little bit more pressure on you to perform to a certain level based on what you're being paid. So will different a different level of expectations and being known as this big money guy, do you think that'll impact Fred Van Vliet in any type of way? Because I think he's always cool under pressure, but obviously there's things that are impossible to ignore. Do you see things going any differently for Fred Van Vliet? Or conversely, do you see him even rising above that pressure even more and having an even better season this upcoming season? He's steady Freddie for a reason, man. He's always yeah. going to keep things steady. He really is. He's just a steadying hand for this team, and he's a model of consistency. And uh, I honestly would not be surprised if we saw him, you know, a lot of times, not just in basketball, but in any sport, you see a player uh, more often than not perform above their level of play during a contract year, and then they get mm-hmm. that big money. And who knows if they uh, maintain that level of play because they already got what they were fighting for. Where Fred Van Vliet, I just don't see him being that type of player. I could easily see him coming out this season and having a better year than he did uh, during his career year last year coming off of that contract. And I think we already talked about it on this podcast once before, but he joked around with the media right after he had signed that extension um, in in just saying that, you know, hopefully that the media doesn't come down harder on him this year now that he's making all this money. And uh, I think that it does come with those expectations are going to happen. And at times I think people are going to be a little overcritical of Fred Van Vliet if he goes through any tough stretches of the season, but I mean, you can't take a ton away from preseason, but you got to look at this guy's preseason. He came out in the first game. He only played 17 minutes. He came up with five steals. That, that alone is telling that he's playing hard enough on the defensive end that he's still scrapping out five steals in a preseason game. And then the second game, he came out and scored 23 points, shooting nine for 12 from the field, five for seven from three, showcasing you a little bit of what he can do on the offensive end. And then in the final preseason game, even though he didn't shoot the ball well, he went 0 for seven from three, he dished out seven assists. Mm-hmm. So this guy is just showing you exactly what you can expect from him uh, year in and year out as someone who's going to play hard on the defensive end. He's going to come up with steals. He's going to take on any challenge that Nick Nurse asks him to uh, for any opposing backcourt in the NBA. And he's going to work hard in doing it. And if you need him to come in and score 20 plus points and knock down a bunch of threes and open up things inside for, you know, Siakam or for his other teammates and uh, be a go-to scorer, he can do that. We saw that he was their go-to scorer in the playoffs last year when Pascal Siakam uh, couldn't get anything to fall, couldn't hit the broad side of a barn in the playoffs. <laughs> Fred Van Vliet was the guy that stepped up and he was the one that was uh, became the number one scoring option for the Raptors. He led the team in scoring in the postseason. And that's something that I think he could do again this season uh, should Pascal Siakam regress, which I, I don't think he will. But at the same time, if they need him to be a facilitator and need him to be a floor general, let's say if Kyle Lowry is out of the lineup, 
Fred VanVleet can easily do that as well. So I really don't expect him to take any sort of a step back coming off of this contract year where, uh, you know, maybe there are some other players that you could expect that from. I just don't yeah. expect Fred VanVleet to be one of those guys that's like, okay, I got my money. I'm going to chill now. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's ultimately what it comes down to. Like you said, he's steady Freddie. He has gone against all odds throughout his entire career. And I think that the pressure really isn't much to him. He's not, you can't really compare his example to that of other, other players because he just is unlike those other players. And we saw him do it in the postseason. And I think each year we've seen him add to his game. And I feel like he's still, you know, on the up, as far as his improvement and his growth as a player. And I do think kind of like we both said, it does align things to allow him to take over and take that torch, whether it's next season or the season after next, he's working on the trajectory to being that guy. And uh, I think the Raptors will be, are, are in good hands as far as that position goes, because Malachi Flynn is right behind him as well. Um, you mentioned getting paid and a guy who is in line to get paid as of the, 5 p.m. Monday, December 21st, the time of recording. He has not signed an extension, but OG Ananobi is eligible for an extension. Um, I think he is probably, he and his agent were probably extremely happy when they saw Luke Kennard sign a four-year, $64 million extension because that means OG will likely get a figure north of $70 million. I would think that that's what that means anyway. A lot of expectations surrounding OG this year, and I think they're warranted. We've seen him show signs of growth. There's reports of him working with Matt Thomas on his jump shot. He's already can guard one through five. I say that very loosely. He can definitely lock up one through four, but he can guard one through five. It seems like there's there's so much untapped potential in OG's game. He's 23 years old this season, which it seems like he is even older than that. This is the way he is as a vet. And he honestly was robbed of a season when he wasn't able to play during the, the, the finals run. We've seen it happen in the past with Fred taking leaps and, and Pascal's taking leaps. Do you think that these expectations from OG are coming based on what we've seen from OG, based on what we've seen from the Raptors in the past, or a combination of both? And do you think that he will realize and make that leap into being like a 15, 16 point per game score elite two-way player this season? I think it's a combination of both. I think it's one, just trusting the Raptors and their development and just, you know, what we've seen with players in the past. And secondly, I think it's part of what we saw in spurts from OG last year. Yeah. I mean, there are times and you and I have had conversations off the podcast about OG Ananobi and how when he looks to score, when he wants to score, he can score the ball. Uh, you know, he's not a wizard at creating his own shot. He's not going to wow you with a series of dribble moves and a step back three, but he can knock down open jump shots. And, you know, he's a big guy and he's extremely athletic when he gets yeah. going downhill he has potential to be someone that can be uh, a player that can put pressure on the rim score at will around the basket. And I think that we saw last year, I think it was the nuggets game. Correct me if I'm wrong, where he really had that outburst. He had yeah. career yeah, 32 high points, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Career high, 30 something points. And after that game, it, you watch that and you're like, why doesn't he just do that every game? Because it seems like if he wanted to have that score first mentality, he could, mm -hmm. I'm not saying he's someone that's going to come out and score 30 points a game, yeah. but he's definitely someone that could average more than his career high 10.6 points that he averaged last game yeah. uh, last year. And I think that that's where the expectation comes is that the Raptors are rely are going to need other players to score this season with Serge Ibaka not there anymore because Serge was such a, a vital part of their offense last year, offense production last year. 
And I think that when you're looking around the roster on, okay, who can replace some of that production, all signs point to OG because he's in the starting lineup. Like you said, he can guard one through five. And I know you were hesitant about saying that he can guard one one through five, but I completely agree with you there that he can lock down one through four. And if you Mm -hmm. really need him to punch up a weight class and defend the center, he's going to give you his best effort and he's going to do a pretty damn good job at it. And we saw Nick Nurse go to those type of lineups in the playoffs last year, which kept OG and Anobi on the floor uh, and and had a player like Serge Ibaka on the sidelines. But uh, that's besides the point, a completely different conversation. I think that OG is someone that's going to be on the floor no matter what, because he's so versatile defensively. And I think the shot attempts are going to be there this year because of, you know, the the lack of offensive talent around the rest of the roster. And I think that that's the combination of a lot of those things is going to lead to OG having uh, potentially the biggest year of his career. And I I picked him as a sleeper for most improved player of the year. And I think that's starting to become a more popular pick than you would think. Uh, And I, I just think that a lot of people have high expectations for OG this season. It's going to be interesting to see if he can meet those expectations. Yeah, I, I think it's funny. I think before he, he became as popular as he is, as, as a pick to be most improved, people, I think, got hung up with the fact that sometimes his offensive game doesn't necessarily look pretty. But as we've seen time and time again, be, even though it doesn't look pretty at times, it's still effective and it still works, whether it's his drives, um, his kickouts and things of that nature. He's very skilled. Um, and, and I think that this development staff in Toronto is polishing what OG does. And and again, with him being so young and being so athletic and being so strong and being such a sponge to learn and develop and improve, it does mean the sky is the limit for him. And it's, again, uh, a system that is tried and true because the proof is in the pudding with how they develop players. And and it really is just amazing to kind of look at the breakdown of the roster as we kind of talk over, over the weekend when the roster was finalized, I took a look at it. Seven guys on this team undrafted, only two lottery picks on this roster, Stanley Johnson and Alex Lynn, only two lottery picks, everybody else taken 20 or later, which is, it's just crazy to think that we're talking about a team that should very well finish in the top half of the Eastern conference. And we'll touch on that a a little more in in a bit, but completely comprised of, of players that were either undrafted taking the second round or, or in the mid to late twenties, which is, which is crazy. OG, obviously the 23rd pick a few years back. When I talk about second round picks is one other guy. We kind of round out the core five, obviously Aaron Baines will round out the starting lineup, but the core five, of this Raptors team is Norman Powell. Powell averaged 16 points per game last season. He is another guy. He has a player option after this season uh, for for next year for 11.6 million. He could very well be opting out. He is technically still the reigning player of the week because there were no player of the week awards handed out in the bubble because he was balling uh, right before he had a sprained ankle in that last game against Utah. But Norman Powell was playing out of his mind last year. It's interesting because there's a very clear difference with how he plays as a starter versus how he plays coming off the bench. But I feel like part of that is just the consistency in your role. And we know this year Norm's going to be the first guy off the bench. He's going to be looked upon to be that spark plug as a scorer. He's going to be looked upon to bring some intensity on the defensive end as well. We saw him kind of get all all in Steph Curry's grill last year when it was one of the five games Steph played in last year. But there's a lot of questions that are going to be surrounding Norm. Is he going to play out of a contract that the Raptors can afford? I mean, there are probably going to be talks of whether he should be traded uh, while his values is, is as high as it'll probably get. Or do you just, just bet on that and try to continue to keep up with the theme of continuity? Obviously, these are questions that probably won't get answered until, you know, later down the line. The, the trade deadline is in March. 
And obviously free agency wouldn't be until next summer, but the outlook of what you expect from Norman Powell and how that will impact the approach that the Raptors should take towards him for the future. Where do you think that starts? Before I even answer that question, I want to back you up and just say you are the only person that would remember that nugget about Norman Powell being the reigning player. (laughs) And the funniest part about that is that like you and I could have a conversation in 20 years when we're both 45 something years old. (laughs) <laughs> and someone could ask you, you know, who is the reigning player of the week when the NBA went into a, a hiatus because of the coronavirus? And you'd be like, oh, Norm Powell is Norm the Powell. reigning player of the week. Of course. Only, only you, man. <laughs> I, I, I had to comment on that. But you know, back, to, back to what you were saying, I think it is a dangerous, it's a dangerous season for Norman Powell because, like yeah. you said, he, could, he very well could play himself out of a contract that the Raptors can afford. And, um, again, like I'm not just throwing these – end of season awards at the Raptors because it's a Raptors podcast. And this is what we're, you know, this is what we do. I, I genuinely think that if Norman Powell plays to the level that he played at last year and can avoid the, the freak accident injuries that he got into last year, yeah. he really could be a six year, six man of the year candidate. And I, I don't think that's something that only I'm saying, I feel like that's something that I've seen elsewhere. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to, you know, a potential OGN and OB most improved player of the year, Norman Powell, six man of the year, it's the fact that everyone expects the Raptors to still be as competitive as they have been in the past. And that production is going to have to come from someone other than just Kyle Lowry, Fred Van Vliet, and Pascal Siakam. So that leaves those two guys as players that could step up and make a major impact and potentially be a candidate for an end of season award. Um, but again, I mean, Norm was incredible last year and every single time that he got onto a hot streak, it seemed like he would get injured. And when he would come back, you would expect him to regress or have to get back into a groove and he would just pick up right where he left off. Be even better. Yeah. And continue to be this spark plug, this microwave off the bench for the Raptors. And I think that something that's so special about Norm and and going into this season is that he is going to be that six man and that if the Raptors, I mean, hopefully the injury bug stayed in Toronto and didn't fall him down to Tampa. Uh, But if, if they do get bit by the injury bug again, again, this season, almost regardless of what position gets hurt, Norm Powell is probably going to be the player that slides into the starting lineup. So he's going to have plenty of opportunities to get his shots off. He's going to have plenty of opportunities to prove that he's worth uh, however much money he receives next off season. Like you said, he has that player option coming up and he could very well play himself out of that uh, as something that maybe the Raptors can't afford. But uh, I think the, the Raptors would relish that opportunity. They would be so happy for Norman Powell to go from, like you said, a second round pick to someone that's made, a consistent impact on a, a team that won a championship, a team that was a mainstay in the playoffs, making playoff runs. And I expect Norm Powell to do exactly that this season in a contract year, like we were just saying, where we see so many people uh, raise their level of play. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting you mentioned the departure of Gasol and Abaka. And obviously they're big men, and they have been replaced with Alex Lynn and – replaced with Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher is going to have a bigger role, but those guys aren't going to get as many shot attempts. So meaning those shot attempts, a lot of them are going to go to Norman Powell. So I think that just having that consistent role to be relied on at that volume offensively is going to do a lot for him. And, and we've seen him come off the bench and be impactful like that, that Celtics game in the playoffs as, as Kyle Lowry. I mean, Fred Van Vliet said after the game, he saved our season and Norman Powell came in and had a season saving performance off the bench. So I think just knowing that I'm going to come in at this mark at this point of the game and I'm going to be looked upon to get this many shots up and do this and do that will be a lot for him because we saw him thrive even in a role that was up and down last year and it varied throughout the year. So having that consistent role, barring injury, 
will definitely be good for Norman Powell. Uh, talk about we last time you and I were on here, we talked about the rest of the the roster and how the training camp roster looked, and that there were some tough decisions that needed to be made. Those decisions have been made. O'Shea Brissett, Alizé Johnson, and Henry Ellenson were all cut. Paul Watson was elevated from a two-way deal to a full contract, which you love to see. I think he's going to be the next example of a rap, the Raptors finding a developmental diamond. And Yuta Watanabe, who signed on an Exhibit 10 contract initially, has been brought up to a two-way deal. He showed some flashes of excellence in the preseason for the team as well. He should be a welcome addition, 6'9", 205. Forward into his third season, the Japanese player played his college ball at George Washington. So we've seen the roster kind of shake out. We know what to expect from some guys. We talked about what we saw from Alakot Flynn a little bit and you know being impressed by Matt Thomas and the likes and Chris Boucher stepping up to a bigger role. And a lot of these guys they brought in are great culture fits, and they might not necessarily produce to the same level as a Gasol or as a Ronda House Jefferson. I think DeAndre Bembry can can definitely produce at that level, um, or, or Serge Ibaka. But I think that they're seamless fits in the sense that they can replicate what those guys did at a certain level. That being said, as we go into the year, where do you look at this roster for the Raptors as it relates to the rest of the Eastern Conference, we got Brooklyn at the top of the top. They looked great in the preseason. Milwaukee has Drew Holiday in the fold. Philadelphia looks pretty good. Boston is still a force to be reckoned with. Miami are the defending Eastern Conference champions. When you look at those teams in comparison with the Raptors, how do you see the season shaking out for them? When Scott and I hopped on here and talked about uh, my post offseason power rankings, I had the Raptors at six, but I wasn't that confident about having them at six because mm-hmm. – I wasn't sure about the 76ers. Uh, there were still questions to be answered about the Brooklyn Nets. I felt pretty confident about having the Bucks, the Celtics, and the Heat ahead of Toronto. Um, but after the preseason, I, I feel like I've only got more clarity that I feel like it's it's a hard uh, – you could almost sharpie it in that the Raptors are the sixth best team entering the 2021 season in the Eastern Conference. Uh, we saw a little bit of what – the Brooklyn Nets could look like and Kyrie Irving looked great. Kevin Durant looked like his, you know, old MVP self. And that's a terrorizing thought for the rest of the Eastern conference. Yeah. Uh, while Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown didn't look all that great in their two preseason games, they were also going through the motions. Yeah. And I don't think that there's any real red flags to be raised there. Whereas the 76ers, we only saw one game of Joel Embiid and he played well against the Celtics as he always does. Uh, ben Simmons, it was encouraging to see him play solid minutes uh, after missing the back end of the season and the playoffs last year with a back injury. Um, and I, I trust that Doc Rivers is going to get the most out of Tobias Harris. So I do think the Sixers are, are going to leapfrog the Raptors mm-hmm. uh, as far as going into the season. But at the same time, I mean, we probably had, if you could dig back the, the tapes on what we were saying about the Raptors going into last season, I'm sure we probably had them around the sixth best team in the Eastern conference. Yeah. And I would not be shocked at all if they end up in a, you know, a top three seed in the East again, because that's just exactly what this team does. I think it was Fred Van Vliet that said it during the media day availability that, you know, this team's right back to where they want to be, which is being overlooked. And I really do think that the Raptors are the type of team that play better with a chip on their shoulder and going into the season where, you know, let's say perennially, perennially, they are being selected to finish six in the Eastern conference. That's motivation. That's, you know, uh, bulletin board material for this team to go out and again, finish with one of the top seeds in the Eastern conference. So to answer your question, I think right now going into the season, they are the best, the sixth best team in the Eastern conference behind the teams that we just mentioned, Milwaukee, Brooklyn, Boston, 
Philly and Miami, but I, I think there's plenty of room for them to grow. And I, I really don't think that they will under almost any circumstance, unless they get bit by the injury bug, even worse than they did last season. I, I don't see any circumstance where they finish lower than six in the East. Yeah. And I think, you know, people might hear six in the East and think that's disrespectful, but I think in a year like this one, the top six teams are in just such a different class than anybody else because of that play in with seven through 10. I think being a top six team is definitely somewhere where you can solidify them. I kind of look at it as in tears, at least as it is right now, it feels like that. I'm very confident in championship contender tier right now. And again, we have to see more in the regular season, but Brooklyn and Milwaukee, feel like they have to be title or bust right like Boston is still young they were right there last year but again we just kind of have to see how some some things kind of shake out Kimba Walker's health is a big question uh, surrounding that team right now same thing with Philadelphia you, you mentioned those guys it seems like they answer some questions that, that that need to be answered as far as you know trading away Al Horford bringing in more shooting and Seth Curry and Danny Green and Tyrese Maxey the rookie looked great for them uh, in spots during the, the the preseason and obviously again the Heat have to get the respect they deserve you you would bet on their young guys just coming back and getting better because Bam is so young and Hero so young and none and Robinson are young players are not young in age but they're young players as far as experience and you you should expect them and Precious Chua could be a steal he looked great in the preseason finale against the Raptors so I, I feel like that those four will be jockeying for position I think the Raptors can finish anywhere between three and six I don't think that they will finish higher than three but I don't think they'll finish lower than six so that's kind of uh, that ceiling floor type thing it'll really depend on injury how these teams approach this truncated season 72 games I think I see the Raptors finishing somewhere like uh, 44 28 45 27 I don't know what do, what do you think what, what's what's a fair amount of wins you should expect from the Raptors this year it's hard to hard to project for that 72 yeah uh, <laughs> that 72 game mark because we're so used to doing it on an, uh, based on an 82 game schedule but yeah I think over 40 wins is yeah, pretty for sure for the Raptors. Like they just seem to always, I don't know off the top of my head what the Vegas over under is, but it just seems like, especially based off last year where they were, you know, projected to be like a seven or eight seed in the East and they blew their win total out of the water, even only playing however many, you know, 60 some odd games they played last season. Um, I, I expect them to whatever their Vegas over under win total is, I expect them to blow that out of the water again. Uh, but at the same time, before we, you know, kind of, pivot away from this topic. I think it's important to note that even if the Raptors are the sixth seed in the East, or let's say the five seed in the East, the difference between the Raptors and pretty much any other team in the Eastern conference is that whoever the Raptors are going up against in the playoffs, they're going to be licking their chops for the opportunity to try and knock off top seed. And there's not one of the teams that we named above the Raptors that are going to be looking forward to playing this team in the playoffs. If the Bucs have to see, not there, you know, let's say the Bucs finish first, it's not that the Raptors are going to finish eighth, but let's say that for whatever reason they did, even if the Raptors were the eighth seed and the Bucs were the one seed, Milwaukee is not going to be excited about that first round matchup. And the same goes for every other team that we listed ahead of the Raptors. So, you know, again, even if they are a six seed, that's not meant to be uh, something that's disrespectful. Mm-hmm. It just is how I see them falling right now. But I think that in the playoffs, even if they are a six seed, they could very easily make a run as a six seed because they're going to be a tough out and no one's going to want to play them. 
Absolutely. And we saw last year with the Heat, they finished fifth. And it's all about matchups. They played a Pacers team that they were, that was that was banged up, but they were clearly better than them regardless. And then again, great matchup for them in the second round against Milwaukee. And again, great matchup for them in the conference finals. So it doesn't really matter, especially in a year like this one. You could be a six seed and be way better and have a great matchup in the first two rounds. And again, find yourself right back in the Eastern Conference Finals. So I would not be surprised based on matchups if this team were to get to the Eastern Conference Finals. And I, and I say that again, similar to what you said about Norm being six men of the year, not because this is a Raptors podcast, but because this team has the moxie, they have the continuity, they have the personnel and they have the way they the, defensively. And that's what Kyle Lowry said. He, he wanted this team to be a real life monster defensively. The Raptors have had a top five defense each of the past three seasons. And there's a correlation with having a top five defense and having a successful team. So if the Raptors are able to put it together on the defensive end and, and figure things out, I could see them, you know, again, finishing somewhere between three and six and with a ceiling, I would think, as at least I would say a ceiling of Eastern Conference finalists, which again, given all the turnover over the past couple of years is, is definitely a big thing. Raptors opened the season once again, Wednesday, December 23rd at home at Amelie Arena in Tampa, Florida, 7.30 p.m. on TSN and TSN 1050 on the radio. Interestingly enough, I was looking at the Raptors schedule their first 10 games, seven of the 10 are against teams that did not make the postseason last year. New Orleans twice, San Antonio, New York, Phoenix, Sacramento, and Golden State. Obviously, Phoenix, Golden State are very much improved teams, uh, but the Knicks are not necessarily. So if the Raptors can come out of the gate strong, I think that'll do wonders for them as far as finishing kind of like what we talked about uh, towards the top of the Eastern Conference because as we've known in the past, the Raptors take care of business in the games that they're supposed to take care of business of. So we're gearing up for that. Uh, we will have everything covered on NBA.com for the regular season with the Raptors. Christmas Day schedule, five big games on Christmas Day. We've got you covered with that as well. A lot of Canadian content on Christmas Day as well. We'll see Andrew Wiggins. We'll see Michael Walter. We'll see Jamal Murray. Maybe have another big scoring game in store, and they're among a bunch of other names. Nikhil Alexander Walker is a guy who'll be playing with the Pelicans on Christmas. Kelly Olynyk. Um, I think there's at least one Canadian in every game uh, on the Christmas Day slate, so that's pretty exciting as well. Until then, keep it locked in with us on NBA.com and the Raptors Pod Table Podcast. We've got you covered for opening week and the entirety of the 2020-21 regular season. It's here. Until next time. For Kyle Irving, I'm Gil McGregor. Thanks for tuning in to the Raptors Pod Table podcast. See you.